live ladies and gentlemen you are listening to the decision hour with myself i am jd and you as always you probably don't tune in for me you probably tune in for the uh the man the myth the legend mr adam bird what's going on buddy what's up how you doing this week buddy i'm doing good man see they i've been told man they really don't call in to listen to me they they like that sexy voice of yours man it's it's a curse i don't know uh i can't help it i was born Ah. with it so i just roll with it not conceited in any way shape or form you know there's a difference between being conceited and uh just being overly confident so outstanding So, everybody, we are live. We are broadcasting from the headquarters of the Honor Walk in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information on the Honor Walk, you can check it out at www.honorwalk.com. And we're going to go ahead and and, uh, I want to go ahead and jump into it. We've got a very special guest. Um, I just want to give, I guess, a little bit of of preamble. I, I went to Las Vegas, as I do occasionally. Yeah. Um, probably more than I should. Uh, and uh, I went to an event called Rise. I believe it was the Rise event. I've been there so many times. Uh, and I saw a young man speak on stage, just a little guy, right. a little tiny guy. Um, but he's got the biggest heart in the world. And when he told his story about struggle and about the things that he went through as a law enforcement officer and uh, the reasons why he, he made the, the decision to... to uh, Ah, create the change in his life that he did is absolutely phenomenal. So what I'm going to do right now is uh, I don't want to go into it too much because I want him to tell the story. And uh, it is very emotional as well. And if I get too much in depth, I might get a little emotional just telling it. So um, we're going to go ahead and bring on our buddy. First time, uh, Mr. Pat Patterson. Pat, are you with us? I am, Jeff. How you doing, buddy? I am doing great. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, ever since I heard you tell your story on stage, uh, I knew that you would be a perfect guest for us here uh, on the Decision Hour. And not, not just for the Decision Hour, but for uh, Heroes Media Group in general, because we tailor to very specific groups uh, within our community, obviously being a military veteran owned and operated uh, organization, we we do uh, hope to support as much as possible the military family, the veteran family, um, but also uh, law enforcement, firefighters, first responders, uh, nurses, doctors, teachers, coaches, entrepreneurs, anybody that you would consider to be a hero within your community, even though 99% of the time, they don't want to be called hero. They just do what they do because they're very passionate about what they do. And uh, they consider it their, their duty to do it. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to step aside. And I'm going to let you start out a little bit. Tell us a little no, no, something no, about don't, you. Don't step aside. I, I wanna, I, I've got to address two things that you said. And first of all, I wish I'd have met you in person in Las Vegas. But you, you made a statement, this little guy. 
first of all, I'm little, but I'm loud. He's a little guy. And for those that don't know, you know, I, I am 118 pounds soaking wet, but let me tell you something. When I put my best and my, my Batman belt on, I got up to about 125, Jeff. So I, I don't think I'm <laughs> all right. little. All right, so I'll back off the little guy. I mean, 125, <laughs> that's, that's pretty strong. I mean, that is, that's definitely strong. 125, uh, I mean, golly, I'd break a scale. So. <laughs> but uh, yes, absolutely. Um, we definitely got to get together at one of the events. I'm always traveling, going through events. Um, definitely want to get together with you on that. But again, um, please do us the honor of uh, sharing a little bit about yourself as well as, uh, if you can, the story that you shared with about 2,500 people uh, in Las Vegas. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm a, I was a police officer out of the state of Georgia uh, for about 17 years. Well, not about, a little over 17 years. And all those that's in law enforcement, you'll, you'll relate to a lot of what I'm going to say. And I'm also going to give a 10-code lesson here today, too, because when I'm telling my story, when I tell what happened, you know, I'm just programmed to use 10 codes when I'm talking on the radio and all that. So, but... I had stopped a car, and I was a traffic unit, and I had pulled over a car that had, you know, marijuana and had uh, a couple of kilos of cocaine in the spare tire in the trunk. Well, this guy wanted to roll over on everybody. As long as he wasn't going to go to jail, he was going to tell on his best friend, brother, mother, it didn't matter. He was going to roll. And he told us about a white Chevette that would be coming up from Florida, going to Illinois, Chicago, with four kilos of cocaine and $150,000 in the spare tire because they're going to do a trade-out when they get to, to Illinois for some other drugs, uh, hence the reason for the $150,000. And I'm thinking, you know, we catch that. I, we seize that car. We seize that money. It goes to my department. It goes to us for our equipment, you know. So we get to seize everything. So... I got with GSP, I got with the county, so we're sitting out on the interstate waiting for this white Chevette, because we had a, a small time frame within that two hours, this white Chevette with a space safer tire on the front left, because the real tire is in the back full of drugs, is going to be passing by, and we're going to get it, and that's all I'm focused on, and I had to get deputized to be out there because I don't have any jurisdiction in the county. So I got deputized, we're out there, it's my case. So we're sitting there, and all of a sudden a call comes out, a 1010 in progress at the Pizza Hut. Now a 1010 is a fight in, in, in our 10 codes. And I know 10 codes, they, they differ across the United States, but 1010 in the state of Georgia means a fight. In progress, inside the Pizza Hut. All eight available units, or actually seven, and then the lieutenant go rushing to the Pizza Hut. So now there's no available 10-8 units, and 10-8 means in service. There's no available 10-8 unit in the city. So guess what I have to do? I've got to leave the interstate where I'm sitting and go back 10-8 in the city because I'm the only available unit. I no more than hit the city limit sign when dispatch called with a 911 hang-up possible 1016. 1016 is a domestic call. 
So, but it's really just a 911 hang-up call. It could be a 1016 because usually it's either a kid playing on the phone or it's a domestic when you get a 911 hang-up call. So here I am. Now I'm irritated. I'm aggravated. I, all I want to do is get back to the out there with GSP and the county. So I'm going to go there. This is what's going through my mind as I'm irritated, and anybody in law enforcement will understand where I'm coming from. You're just like, can't these freaking people just behave? So I knew when I get, get to that residence, I'm going to say, look, guys, behave. I'm going to put you in timeout. You sit over there. You sit over there. If I come back, you both are going to jail. So I get to this nasty-ass trailer. And I don't need any, I, there's no other way to say it. It's just a nasty, single-wide trailer. Just uh, So I get there, and as I'm walking up to the door, there's three wooden steps going up onto this small, tiny deck. Now, this deck is no, you can't even put a barbecue grill on this deck and have enough room to walk around. Anybody that's seen a that little small deck with the three steps in front of a little single wide trailer and know what I'm talking about. So I walk up the steps and Jeff, we are trained from day one in police academy. You don't stand in front of a door and knock on it. You stand to the left or the right, whichever safest. So in other words, if there's a window on the left hand side, I'm not going to stand on that side with my back to it and knock on the door. Right. <laughs> Excuse me. You're supposed to, I would have stood on the right side and got my mag light, which is my long flashlight, and tapped on that door. Did I do that this time? No. My focus was get them to behave where I can get back out there because once this bus goes down, it's no longer my case. We don't see the money. The county's going to get that money. The county's going to get credit for that, for those four kilos of cocaine. They're going to seize the car, not me, because I'm not at the scene. It's no longer my case. So I got to get back out there. And that was my whole focus, which I was a total idiot. I should have been focused on what I had in front of me, because this is a 911 hangup call. I have no idea what I'm walking myself into. So I get up to the door, standing straight in front of it, which still. So what happened to me is my fault, totally my fault. But I stand right in front of the door like an idiot, and I take my mag light, and I tap on the door. And Jeff, this door literally exploded open. And this 210-pound man, and I say 210 pounds, not that I had a scale in my hand, not that I knew exactly how much he weighed. I'm guessing. And I've dealt with enough suspects that this guy was about 210, 220. He rushed me. Now, you got to realize, I'm standing on this deck. When I knocked on that door, if I had just took a half a step back from where I was standing, my, the, my back is touching the deck rail that went around this little small deck. It's all wood. But he hit me so hard with his body, rushed me like we were playing football, and we both flipped over that balcony. Now, I'm on the bottom when we landed. Hard dirt, 210 pounds on top of me, and I came crashing down on my neck and spine the way I landed. My feet were straight up in the air. And so the full impact went to my neck. 
of this fall. So now I'm in la-la land. I am stunned. The breath is knocked out of me. I'm just, I, I always like to say it to get people to understand where I, where I was at this moment. Is everybody has woke up in the middle of the night and just looked up at their ceiling and you don't have a freaking clue where you are. For that split two or three seconds, you're like, None of this looks familiar. You don't know where you are. That's where I was. I had no idea where I was. But I didn't have time for all that because now this guy, immediately, he's on top. He straddles me like we're at UFC. He's mounted me. Now, the way I landed is over on my right side. And he's, on, he's not right on top of my stomach. He's straddling my left side. Now, I'm right-handed, so my weapon is on my right side, and it's a level three holster, meaning you have to push down on it, slide it forward, and then slide it out so nobody else in a struggle or a fight can get to my gun. And I had a Glock 23. So my gun, my weapon, is between my hip and the dirt. And this is hard dirt, like clay hard dirt. So I can't get to my weapon, or this guy would have been dead. I mean, I'd have shot him. So he is pounding on my face, the back of my head. So I'm not, I, didn't, I don't have that time to regroup and get my thoughts, because he's pounding me. He hit me a couple of times on the side of the throat, and I, I knew, okay, uh, yeah, I'm fighting for my life. This, this is, but it didn't really come across my mind, Jeff, as, okay, I'm fighting for my life. It's, it's more, why is he pounding on me? And yeah, I got to get out of this situation. This is not good for me. So now there's another guy that I don't even know about in the trailer. Because as this was going on, I hear this voice from the trailer that said, sicky. And Jeff, I saw this large pit bull. And when I say large, I'm not exaggerating. This large pit bull run down those three stairs, make that immediate right-hand turn, and come straight at my face. He was going for my neck and throat. And I put my arm up to protect my, my left arm was up in, the, in front of my face. Now... The only thing I do to do was let him chomp on my arm. And now I know I'm fighting for my life. I remember that thought going through my mind, I'm dead. If I don't get out of this, I'm dead. I got a guy beating on me and I got a pit bull. Now, when the pit bull hit me, the suspect stood up and he started, he went to my right, left side, excuse me, my left side, and he started stomping me, not kicking me, he wasn't swinging his foot in and out. He was coming straight up, straight down. Now, I had a bulletproof vest on, so that protected me, I thought. But he was literally stomping me. I felt that. Now, I've never... Here's the funny thing, Jeff, that a lot of people are not going to understand. I, all the this, this stuff that was going on, I felt no pain. I did not feel the pain of him pounding in my face knocking teeth out of the bottom of my mouth. I didn't feel him stomping on my ribs. 
I didn't feel the dog. You know, I, I saw him grab my arm and dig in. The pain wasn't there. And later the doctor said, well, it was the adrenaline. So if you've, if you've never been in any kind of situation like that, you probably won't understand. Most people are say, yeah, right, you didn't feel the pain. I did not. But I felt the fear. And I felt the, but it wasn't an over, the fear wasn't overtaking me. I was still thinking very clearly now because I wasn't in la-la land anymore. I knew where I was. I knew what was going on. I came to my senses. So I got to get this dog off of me. So the combination of the suspect standing up, going to my left side and stomping on me, and the dog hitting my left arm <laughs> moved me just enough to the left where I could clear my weapon. Now my weapon's not between my hip and the dirt. It's just slightly to the left. And you got to realize, I'm on a small incline. It's not just flat. Where it's a, there's a small incline there. So it wasn't easy for me just to roll to my left because I'd be rolling kind of uphill. But I realized I, my hand is on, on the butt of my gun. And I said, I, I remember thinking, I can clear this. All I have to do you know, is push down, pull forward, slide out. And Jeff, I pushed down on this weapon and the pain that shot through my entire chest and ribs was almost unbearable. I remember screaming out in pain because I didn't know I had two broken ribs on my left side. I had no idea. Anybody that's had broken ribs, try to take your right hand and push down on some. It, it, was, it, it took my breath away. It was so hard. And I remember I, I heard myself scream. And here's the dog still trying to move from my arm. And all of this that I'm talking about is a 30-second maybe. And that may be exaggerating. might have been 20 seconds. This all happened within like 20 to 30 seconds, this part. So the dog is trying to get away from my arm and get to my neck and throat, or my face and throat. And I'm, so I'm having to concentrate on the dog and moving my left arm wherever he's going, and he ripped my arm apart. So I knew, okay, I'm going to have to fight through this pain. I've got to get this weapon. So the guy's still stomping me. The dog's still on my arm. I pushed down on my, my Glock, screamed out in pain, slid it forward, and it cleared. I put the gun on top of that dog's head. It was right here in front of my face now. And I put the butt of the barrel of the gun on top of the dog's head. Now, I'm thinking right here, it's amazing when you're fighting for your life, Jeff. It's so amazing what goes through your mind. Clearly, it's like it should take an hour to go all the stuff that shoots through there, but we're talking about fractions of a second. So at this point, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I've got a, I've got a Glock 23. It's a 40 caliber, hollow points. I'm going to shoot this dog in the head. That bullet's going to go through his head into my arm. I'm fixing to shoot myself in the arm. And immediately, at the same moment, I said, I'd rather shoot myself in the arm than this dog take it off. Because that's what's happening here. And I pulled the trigger. <sighs> dog dropped on my chest. Immediately death. He was done. That threat was gone. 
I, I remember looking down at the dog's head, and I remember seeing all this blood on the side of my, my uniform where I could see where the dog wasn't. And I thought that was from the dog, but it wasn't. It was from my arm. So the dog drops. The shell casing from my Glock was just at the right angle where it discharged out and hit me underneath my right eye. And it, it felt like it had stuck there. Kind of like, you know, you pour wax on your hand or your arm and it just sticks. That's right. what it felt like. And that burnt the shit out of me. I hurt. And I remember thinking, God, that hurt it. <laughs> God, I don't feel a dog ripping my arm off, but I felt that. So the suspect immediately, when I discharged my weapon and I killed his dog, now, I know there's another suspect over here in the trailer. I heard him. I haven't seen him yet, but he's over there. So I'm trying to, to direct my attention to the man in front of me and know there's somebody that could come over here on my right side, on my blind side now, because I'm looking kind of towards my left with, at the suspect. He could come over here. And I remember when I was walking towards the front door when I first got to the scene, there was a, an old rusty golf club that was sitting there in the grass next to the trailer, next to that siding that goes around the trailer. And I just remember looking, looking at it, thinking, okay, yeah, that could be used as a weapon, you know, so I'll keep, you know, while I'm on this call, I'm going to keep that in mind that that's laying out here. So now that's back on my mind that this suspect in the trailer, whoever he is, I heard him say sick him. He could come down those stairs without me seeing him pick up this golf club and start beating me in the head with it. That's what, that's what I'm thinking. But I've got my weapon. And this now, what I'm talking about is like a 10-second scenario. I'm going to kill the guy in front of me. Did I think about shooting him? No. Not once at this point did I think about shooting him. I thought about killing him. I'm going to put a slug right in the middle of his chest and follow it with about three or four others. I'm going to make sure this guy's dead. I want him dead because I want the threat gone. I know that sounds harsh. I know it does, but I did not think about I'm going to shoot him to stop him as we're trained to do. I'm going to shoot him to kill him. That's, that's what was on my mind, and that's what I was fixing to do. And, Jeff, I raised my weapon up. Now, I'm still laying kind of to my, more to my right than my left, but I'm, I've moved towards my left side more because I was able to clear my weapon. And I remember coming up laying down, coming up with my Glock with one hand because my left hand was just unusable because of the damage to my left arm. And I still didn't realize the damage. I mean, I didn't look at it. It was, there was too much other stuff going on. So I come up with one hand, which, you know, I, I've never done. Even, even on the, the firing range, you know, you know, you go seven foot, 25 foot, all that. I'm still using two hands to shoot. So I've never had to aim with one hand, but this guy's pretty big. He's 210 pounds. He's got this huge chest, and I remember thinking at this moment, I'm going to shoot him in the head, and I'm going to go back to, this is the crazy shit that goes through your mind when you're in survival mode, when you know. Sorry, take your time. When you know you're... When you know you're fighting for your life, 
that the shit that goes on up in your mind is just but this is what I thought. You know, I didn't get really high scores at the firing range. I don't think an eighty seven is good is good enough for a headshot. But this guy's got a huge chest. I can hit him. I can hit his chest about three or four times. So I eliminated the headshot only because I didn't think I was a good enough shot. I remember my score hitting, coming into my head, 87. And as soon as I, I feel in a Glock, the, the safety on a Glock is in the trigger. You don't have to flip a switch or anything. It's in the trigger. There's a spring right there on the front trigger. I'm pulling back. It's off safety because I'm fixing to. I just wanted to see one shot go in the guy's chest, and I was going to immediately follow it with three or four as he's falling to make sure he's dead. As I'm pulling back on the trigger, I did not hear. See, in our department or in any department, I'm sure, when you go out on a call, you're out there for about two minutes max, and dispatch is going to say, uh, Station 35 or you 10-4? 10-4 means, are you okay? They're checking on me. Well, I didn't answer. I didn't hear it. Because, again, I'm by this time, I'm in all this struggle that I just talked about. They'll wait about maybe 20 to 30 seconds and say, Station 35 or you 10-4. If I don't answer, chief dispatching units from all, every unit is... 1078, 1018 to my location. 1078 means officer needs assistance. 1018 is right now, emergency. Sirens, lights, go to him. So she had to be dispatching 1078, 1018 to my location. I didn't hear any of that. I didn't hear sirens coming. I, I was tunnel vision on everything I was doing. So I never heard Mr. Rookie pull up, who'd been out of the academy for about two weeks, you know, a lot of you can understand that. You know, the one that puts on the badge and the gun and they immediately turn into God and treat everybody like shit. That's the guy I'm talking about. Officer Mahoney. I was going to say Mahoney. He pulled up. Huh? I was going to say Mahoney. You beat me to it. Yeah, Officer Mahoney was his name. How did you know that? Police Academy. Oh, Las Vegas. That's right, Las Vegas. <laughs> but... He pulls up to the scene. Now, any police officer, and I know what I'm about to say is wrong. I just know how I would handle the situation. And they say, you don't know how you're going to handle it until you're in that situation. Well, when it comes to another police officer, I know what I was going to do. But he pulls up to a scene, sees an officer on the ground, a guy standing over him with a dead dog on top of him, another guy in the doorway. This guy that's standing over me is an immediate threat. We're not playing football, but that's what he did. He ran from his unit across the yard and tackled this guy. As I'm coming up with my weapon with one hand and fixing to pull the trigger. He's lucky he didn't get shot because I was pulling back on the trigger as he passed by and tackled the guy. I pull up to a scene like that, yes, I got to say, hey, in court, that I announced myself. So I would have. I'd have said, please, please. 
and then I'd have shot the shit out of him. Failure to comply. He was an immediate threat to this police officer. This officer's life was in danger, and I felt threatened with my own personal safety. That's all I got to say. It's a good shoot. He didn't do that. He wanted to play football. I remember everything that I've said up until this point was all in slow motion to me. Everything, and I even look back on it now, and nothing goes into regular normal speed. It's still, when I think about it, it's still in slow motion in my mind. Until Officer Mahoney tackles this guy, and that was like top high speed, and I was out. I lost so much blood from the injuries to my arm that I'm, I'm gone. I'm not gone. I mean, I'm just out. The next day, I wake up in the hospital, and I found out that this 911 hang-up call, this father and son, the girl was the son's girlfriend. She was 17 years old. Or 18, I'm sorry, she was 18 years old. But my sergeant told me that you could not tell what race she was. You couldn't tell what color hair she had, nothing. She was just blood from her head all the way down her, her arms, her stomach, you know, which she had a blouse on, I'm sure. I, I've never seen her. To this day, I've never seen this, this young lady. But from the incident report and the, the uh, report I got from my sergeant while I'm laying in the hospital bed is they had sucked the dog on this girl in the trailer because she picked up the phone to call 911 because they wouldn't let her leave. She wanted to go and they wouldn't let her, they were keeping her there. So the father rips this phone out of the wall. Now this phone, she he grabs a hold of this phone and starts beating her in the head with it. And I'm not talking about an iPhone. I'm talking about those if anybody remembers the old rotary dial phones where you'd, you'd go click, 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 right. click, click. Well, after that, about 1975, they came out with the touchstones. And I thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, I'm 12 years old and I'm, I can play little, Mary had a little lamb on his phone. It's really cool. I never called Hawaii. I should have with all the numbers I was pushing. But it's the old touch tone phones, the big heavy and why he had one I have no idea they didn't think they those things would even work nowadays but that's the phone that they were beating her in the face with when I'm in the hospital she's in intensive care that's how bad she was and again I, I never got to see the young lady I wish I had it but I, I, ne I never got to see her they only allowed uh, family members into the uh, intensive care unit at that time so, but here I am, I remember the third day in the hospital, and this is, I'd already went through one surgery at this point, and they'd already had me scheduled for a second for my neck, because I had, the injuries that I came away with was two broken ribs, a fractured left wrist, multiple injuries to my left arm just ripped apart, and I had three ruptured discs in the back of my neck and then damage to my lower back. So they, they already did the surgery to the lower back and repaired that, that was one surgery, but my, the back of my neck was really messed up. 
So I went through one surgery on the, by the third day. Well, actually, immediately when I got to the hospital, I went through surgery. But this is the third day. And I'm sitting in bed and feeling, Jeff, I'm, I'm ashamed of myself the way I thought and the way I, I felt. Where I should have been, oh, my God, I'm still here. Thank you, Lord, for getting me through this. I didn't think that. I, I was like, boo-hoo me. Why did this happen to me? I'm looking at my arm thinking, now at this point, it's so wrapped up. I'm thinking, oh my God, are they going to have to amputate my arm? Boo-hoo me, poor Pat. What, what, what did I do to deserve this? What, again, I should have been thanking God that I'm still breathing. So the doctor had told me, and I can't remember what day it was. It was probably the fourth or fifth day in the hospital. He said, look, I need you to move around. Don't move your neck a lot, but I need you to get up. I need your body to move around a little bit, not fast, not nothing. Just take little baby steps. There's a Coke machine at the end of the hall on the left. I want you to easily take your IV because I had this pole following me around. It's a pole on wheels and it had these bags hanging from it. And from the bags had tubes going into my arm. One was an IV, one was really good pain medication. Right. So I have to take this pole and walk with this pole. But it was a good thing because I was able to use the pole almost like a cane. It, it helped me balance. Uh-huh. And I was just doing what the doctor said. I, okay, I'll go down there and get a Coke and uh, or Dr. Pepper. Let me make that clear. I don't drink Coke. Dr. Pepper. <laughs> right. But I'm walking very, very slowly down this hall because that's as fast as I can run at the time. And I'm looking, and anybody that's been in a hospital or to visit, most of the doors are open down the hall. They're propped open. So you can kind of look in and see who's in there. Well, I'm walking into my left side. I look in there, and I see this guy laying there, and I've worked enough traffic accidents to know this guy's got a broken neck because he's got this neck brace on. He's laying flat, and he's got this little hat, or not a hat. It's more of a band, and on that band is a mirror that comes over above his eyes. And that mirror is reflecting the TV so he can watch TV. I've seen him before in neck injuries. I mean, I knew he had a broken neck. So I'm thinking, okay, this guy's been in a motorcycle accident. Now this is just me analyzing, I don't know. But I'm like, God, that's, that's tough. And I keep walking. And I look to the right and here's this, this guy that's got his whole left side burnt. And I, you know it is because of the wrappings. And you see the Vaseline glitter and, you know, it's glowing. And you know this guy's burnt up. So I keep walking. And to the left is another elderly lady that just, she was laying there, Jeff, like she was just waiting to die. Literally, just no, no life in her face at all. She's just waiting. And by, before I even got to the Coke machine, I'm thinking, what the hell are you doing, Pat? These people here are a hell of a lot worse than you are. And you're feeling sorry for yourself. And again, I was totally, after that, I, I'm still ashamed of the way I felt and acted when I, when I woke up and found out everything that happened and boo-hoo me. And that was just pure BS. But at that moment, I'm like, hey, my name's on the obituary. This is a blessed day. 
so from that moment on, my outlook on life, even today, Jeff, has just been that attitude. It doesn't matter if the car burns up, the house blows up. It doesn't matter. As long as my name's not in obituaries, I'm blessed. And it's a beautiful day. I'll go sleep in a tent. That's okay. I'm alive. I'm breathing. And that's how I felt. And I think God put me there so I'd realize, look, you're pretty blessed. You know, I shouldn't have survived what I survived. And if it hadn't been for my left arm, I wouldn't have survived it. That pit bull would have ripped my throat out. So now I'm going to kind of fast forward. 14 months later, I just went through my fourth surgery on my neck. I'm at home. I had to move in with my son because I don't know if anybody's ever dealt with the small town politics, but that's what I dealt with. And they come to the hospital bed, uh, hospital room, and I'm signing documents and non-disclosure forms and not, uh, waivers of liability, and I will not sue the city. And I'm thinking, what the fuck? Oh, I just want to go. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. To use that profanity, but that's what I'm <laughs> thinking. Okay. What the hell, you know? I mean, I just want to get back on duty. I'm not buying a house. I don't need to sign all this paperwork. I just want to get back on duty. But the city manager and the city attorney feels like, okay, they're going to cover their ass. So I don't have a lot of money at this point. So I have to move in with my son. And my son, and I'm still disappointed in him, he, he's living in this nasty-ass 45, 50-year-old trailer. It's got two bedrooms, but the second bedroom is like a shoebox. It's so tiny. I don't even know how somebody would fit a bed in there. So we got the back. He moved out of his bedroom and gave, gave me the back bedroom. And then they moved their bed into the living room. And this place was nasty. And when I say nasty, you could flip a switch on in the bathroom and roaches would just scatter. So, and it... Later on, I even got broke hotels and spray and all this stuff, never could get rid of them. But here I am, I'm laying in bed. And the doctor, after the last surgery, I think he realized, look, I think we moved you around too soon. This time, this was a very delicate surgery. I want you restricted movement for 16 days. I don't want you walking around. I don't want you moving your neck. I want you to lay your ass in bed and look up at the ceiling. That's what I want you to do. And those are his exact words. But before he told me that, Jeff, he gave me the worst news that I could possibly imagine. He said, Officer Patterson, you're not going to be able to ever return to active duty as a police officer. Your law enforcement days are over. That was crushing to me. There's a lot. I miss law enforcement today. I miss it so bad. And that's all I ever knew how to do was be a cop. I was going to retire as a police officer. I never planned on doing anything else. I only wanted to be a police officer. I came from a long law enforcement family. My father, my uncle, my, my grandfather was all deputy sheriffs. And this guy just took my life away from me by telling me I can't be a cop anymore. So I'm laying in bed thinking, you know, what, what are my options? He just took my world away from me. 
because now I've got a, a, a medical hold on my post-certification. So it's not like I can just walk into a department and just not tell them one day about this injury. They run my, my post-certification. It's going to show a medical hold. So I'm saying, what the hell am I going to do now? I don't know what else to do except you know, law enforcement's all I know. So what's my option? I, I'm going to go be a security guard and guard some telephone in a parking lot somewhere? I mean, that, that was my option for 10 bucks an hour, working 12 hour shifts, 14 hours just to get some overtime so I could like survive. That's the rest of my life. So I'm sitting there and I remembered my sergeant's wife. I remember sitting at the huddle house because I'd worked off duty security at the huddle house and the huddle house is like a waffle house. It's almost the same thing, just different name. But on my, we were on a three-day rotation, and on my weekends off, I would work 12 at night to 5 in the morning at the huddle house for $20 an hour for off-duty security. And I remember her sitting in there one night saying, she's doing these insurance forms. You won't believe it, Pat. I'm filling out these forms, and they pay me $15 a form to fill out. And I re I'm laying there remembering that. So I called my son down the hallway and said, can you give me my laptop? So he booted it up, and he got it started, and he put it on my stomach. Well, I cannot move my neck, Jeff. I can't, like, you know, look down towards my feet laying in bed because the doctor said, don't move my neck. Of course, I couldn't have done it anyway because of the pain. You know, I don't care what kind of pain medication you're on. You move your neck like that, you're going to feel the pain. So I got him to get me a pillow, and he put a pillow on my stomach and put the laptop on top of the pillow. Now it's high enough to where I don't have to try to look down. I can just, you know, move my eyes like I'm looking at my nose and see the computer screen. And I'm going to look for this because I do not want to go guard a telephone pole. I do not want to be a security guard because, look, we make fun of those guys. They're rent-a-cops. They're wannabes. We, we get in our little group where we're telling our war stories, and we make fun of them. Look at, look at Mr. Wannabe running over there. Hey, buddy, you forgot your trooper hat. You know, I mean, it was wrong. We shouldn't have done it. I, 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 don't, I didn't realize that then because we were just being funny, but... Now I look back and say, you know, I was wrong. This guy's just trying to, you know, provide for his family. But I did not want to do that. I didn't want their little white shirt and their little gold badge. And so I'm going to figure out how to do this insurance form. I didn't know a lot about computers. Now, I had an email account because I, was, I had to have an email account, an Outlook account. I think it was Outlook Express. Because on my days off, if there was a bolo that came out with the department, they would send us an email on it, and they would also page us or send us a text or whatever, you know, whatever they wanted to do at that time. We started off with pagers and then moved it to cell phones later. But so, and a bolo would be on the lookout. So if, if if they were looking for a suspect or a car got stolen, we'd get a bolo. And that's the only thing, and I never had to go on the internet to do that. I just left the application running and just click on, you know, check mail. And it would load any new mail that the department had sent me. That's what I do about the internet. That's it. So I get on this laptop, and it's a, I remember it was Bing that popped up on the browser for the search engine. And I typed in, Make money from home or make money at home insurance forms. That's what I typed in the little thing and I searched. And, you know, several things came up. About a third or fourth one down said, 
make money from home, and there was a dash. And I'm thinking, okay, the dash is there because they can't fit the whole thing on one line, insurance forms. That's it right there. I clicked on it. That sent me to what I know now is a capture page, but I didn't know that then. I'm thinking, okay, they're going to email me this information. So I put my email address in there. And Jeff, that sent me to a video presentation with David Woods and David Sharp running around on this video in a in superhero costume <laughs> because they were launching the blog beast at that time. This is October of 2013. Mm -hmm. So they're running around. And he's, now, you've got to understand my mind frame and my mindset at that point is here I am, ex-police officer. I still haven't adjusted to that part yet. And here's the two heroes right in my face. I want to do what they're doing. I don't care what it is. I'm going to do what they're doing. And that was my mindset. I mean, that was, I joined immediately. I didn't even know what a blog was. Didn't know what I was buying. I just knew it's to make money from home. I watched that whole video. I was impressed. Here's my saviors. These superheroes are here for me. That kind of thing. You know, stupid shit that, you know, you didn't realize where I was coming from. I didn't really believe they were here, my superheroes, but it, it was just really cool. So I joined, and I, you know, I got back there at Blog Beast and all that. So, but I knew nothing. And the only difference between me and most people, because you hear this ninety-seven percent fail. Well, the only difference is that I refuse to quit. I don't have a secret. I don't have any special things that I do. So many times I wanted to pick up my laptop and throw it out of a freaking window. I got that frustrated. I didn't. I didn't have a sponsor to call. Because I didn't realize there was a sponsor attached to all this. I knew the definition of a sponsor, but I didn't think that had that related to what I'm doing here in this blog beast thing. So, so I didn't know I had somebody to call. For four months, I didn't know. So what were you doing so I, on a daily basis? I went to, to, at this time, I had learned about Google. So now Google is my search engine. And I realized that I had watched bl the blooper videos on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I had heard about Craigslist. And to me, the things I heard about Craigslist was, hey, you got a washing machine for sale, put it on Craigslist. So that was a garage sale online to me. And Facebook, that was just a freaking gossip column I wanted nothing to do with. I don't give a shit if they're at the mall eating. I don't care. I never, I didn't even have a Facebook account because it was all about what everybody else, hey, look what I had for dinner. Like, 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 you know, you could say I broke my arm today. Like, like, like. So I stayed away from Facebook. Um, but the YouTube impressed me because I'm thinking, you know what, I could put something on here and put a link underneath here. And I learned a lot of this by watching other YouTube videos with make money online. It wasn't just, you know, this wonderful thought that appeared in my mind. I, I saw it on some videos. So I learned YouTube. I didn't go to Craigslist. I didn't go to Facebook, YouTube. I wanted to learn it. And I didn't want to complicate it, so I wanted to figure this out before I tried to move on to anything else, which I found out later was the right way to do this. So, because, well, in the very beginning, I did try Craigslist at the same time, but immediately I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm getting overwhelmed here. I don't know what the hell I'm doing anyway. Let me learn this first. So YouTube, free marketing. I had to stay with 100% free marketing. And I did that for nine months before I ever, I didn't even realize there was 
clicks available or, or you could go buy solo ads. I, I, I wasn't that far advanced in this yet. So 100% free marketing on YouTube, that's what I went with. Mm -hmm. And I put this little, this small Powtoons, it was free, Powtoons.com, and it let me make this little animated video. And I figured, and I had learned through YouTube that I could do YouTube reviews on different MLM companies that are coming out. And that's what I did. And I started putting these review videos on YouTube. So, because by this time, we're talking about we're in uh, late December or middle December. So I'm not just laying in bed anymore. I'm kind of sitting. My desk is my chair pulled up to the bed, my laptop on the bed, and that's my desk in this little nasty room of this trailer. So I do all that, and again, I wanted to quit so many times. I fired myself, uh, Jeff, many times. You're fired. You know where the shit. I'm done with this crap. It ain't working for me. Because I was putting in 8, 10, 12-hour days, six days a week. Every day I was working this thing, and nothing was working. It's like, God, what do I got to do? I'd fire myself. I'd quit. It'd be like 2.30 in the morning. I'm done. I, I'm not doing this anymore. I guess I'm going to have to get on uh, career builders or somewhere and fill out a freaking application to a security company and do that shit because this ain't working. And it's amazing because, you know, I know how I am. I'd wake up in the morning and forget about that shit. I'd hire myself back and keep working. So it was just the fact that I refused to quit. And that's the only difference. And anybody listening listening to this, I make thousands of dollars a month now. I own two Cadillacs, and I'm not bragging. I got a Cadillac SRX 2015 and a 2014 ATS. So... And that's not bragging. I'm just saying anybody can do that. It's definitely not it's something. It's not about what you own. It's about, I'm sorry? I was just going to say, it's definitely not something you can get on a cop salary. Oh, absolutely not. I was making $27,200 a year as a cop. You know, and that's working six at night, six in the morning uh, on a three-day rotation. So, no, oh, wow. I mean, every two weeks I've done work 84 hours on this rotation and 27200 a year. I had to take off these security jobs just to pay light bills and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, but anybody that's listening to this, there's no secret to this. It's just you have to treat it like a business and not a hobby, and you have to put in the time and effort that it takes. How long is that time and effort? Don't know. It's up to you. It could be three months, six months, a year, year and a half. It doesn't matter because not, you're not building this for this week or next week. You're building this for a lifetime. So it doesn't matter how long it takes you. Just stay after it. I refused to quit. And by August of 2014, I'd made my first $5,000 month. So you're going to work for peanuts in the beginning. Hardly nothing. Because my first three months, I only made $164 total in three months. Wow. Working 8, 10, 12-hour days, sometimes longer. And all I had to show for it was $164, and that $164 went right back into my business for my, you know, my lobbying beast and my affiliate fee and all that. So I didn't make anything. You just have to refuse to quit, and you keep pushing forward because you're going to learn something new every day. And you got to believe in yourself because nobody else is going to. you got to prove it to them. So, and as long as you believe in yourself, and I think that's the biggest thing, and you don't do this and make it about money, you cannot make your business about money. 
I did that for three solid months, wanting to make $500 a month just to see if I could do it. And never even came close to it. So I made my, I changed my goals and made it about opt-ins. I said, okay, this is a numbers game. I figured this out by this time. This is a numbers game. If I can get five opt-ins a day for 14 days straight, then I've got something. Right. And I did that. It took, I had to reach, because every time you don't make it, it's like day number nine, you only get three, you start back to day number one. You gotta get five opt-ins a day for 14 days straight. So once I did that, I said, okay, now I'm gonna get 10 opt-ins a day for 14 days straight. And if I miss one day, then I can start back to day one. And I never counted Saturdays. Saturdays was my free day because Saturdays suck most of the time. So in doing that, I took my focus away from money, made it about opt-ins and helping my team, and the money began coming in automatically. Yeah, it's a numbers game. The more people you get to your capture page and opt in and see the video presentation, obviously the more money you're going to make. Right. So you don't even have to make it about money. If you're going to say, oh, no, i got to make 2000 a month, well, you just screwed yourself right there because you've made your goal about money instead of you and other people. you got to make this about helping somebody else get away from corporate America. You help them get what they want, you immediately get what you want. So the thing that I went through, and I'm going to leave it at this, Everything that I went through, I look back, I shouldn't be here today with what happened. It's a blessing, and I thank the Lord every day that I'm here. And I truly live every day that, hey, my name's not in the obituary, I'm going to fix a cup of coffee, and it's another blessed day. But where I am today is just, I'm very successful, but I'm successful not just in income, but I'm able to help other people and they listen to me because I am successful. You know, they see, you know, he makes $12,000 a month. He makes $8,000 a month. He makes, yeah, and well, with that kind of income coming in, they're going to, I'm going to listen to this guy. So they'll do what I, what I tell them they need to do. So and that makes it easier and it makes it easier to help other people get ahead and get away from corporate America. Right. So, and I tell everybody, I'm always here to help. I'm an email or a phone call away. So, and you got to be that way and you got to mean it. Well, let me uh, let's do this, Pat, because we just got dinged by our producer saying uh, we, we got to go ahead and wrap up. But first off, I definitely want to tell you how much I appreciate you um, telling that story and uh, just letting everybody know, you know, what you went through and how you picked yourself up. Um, now, I know there's there's probably a lot of people listening to this. That said, uh, you know, well, everybody says, you know, that stuff. You know, they went through a hard time, and then, you know, out of nowhere, they they start making money. So what we did was we went out and we found an individual who's uh, on the line right now. We hope she's still on the line. Um, who is not a part of your team has never spent a dime um, towards you or your products. So you're you've never made a dollar offer of her, but she follows you. I'm assuming because of your story, but I'm going to bring her on real quick. Tandy, are you with us? I'm here, yes. Can you hear me okay? I can, Tandy. we got a, just a couple short minutes left, but I wanted to bring you on. Um, you you are not uh, in yeah, on Pat's team. You've never paid him any money specifically. Why is it that you're following him? 
Well, you know what? It is because um, I actually saw Pat on stage back in July, and I think that was when you saw him, right, Jeff? And um, I, I saw him on stage, and just hearing his story was so incredibly inspiring. And, um, you know, his story is just so powerful how he, he was injured in the line of duty, and then he couldn't return. And I think so many of us, how many of us would have let that get us down? And we would have just accepted that, you know, as, as our life sentence and said, well, this is what life has thrown at me. I guess this is my life and I'll just accept it. But he refused to accept that. He refused to, um, you know, make that his fate and decided to really, um, you know, take his life into his own hands and create the life that he wanted. And, and I found that so incredibly inspiring um, and then we just, I, I friended him on Facebook a little while later and we just became fast friends and he was so, he really reached out and was like, you know, who's helping you? What, what are you doing? What are your strategies? And really deeply cared about, you know, me being a success, even though, like you say, I was not um, in his, um, I was not in his downline. He was not my sponsor, but he truly cares about helping people and I've seen him do this with countless others he wants people to succeed he wants people to be able to live the life that he's living this life of time freedom and um, you know be able to have his life exactly the way he wants it and um, yeah so just connecting with him and um, seeing what he has done to succeed has absolutely I just I've used it in my business you know just his uh, his main key point of treat your business like a business, not a hobby. For me, that has been like the, that was like a light bulb moment for me. Treat your business like a business, and it will pay you like a business. You know, and and uh, I I was on the path to you know, okay, I'll get to it when I can and and things like that. But meeting Pat has really helped me be able to zone in on exactly what I need to do to be successful, and that's really what it all boils down to for him was. You know, him refusing to quit, refusing to quit. And um, that really is what it boils down to. And I remember having bad days. And I, one particularly bad day, and I, um, I messaged Pat, and I was, I was done. I was like, this is so hard. I can't do this anymore. I'm tired. I, you know, and I bargained with myself, you know, going back to work wouldn't be that bad, right? You know, and um, I was having a horrible day and told Pat I was done, and he was like, you know what, that is the worst thing you can do. That is the worst thing you can do is to quit your business. You're giving up on your dream. You're giving up on your time freedom, and I know how bad you want this. And that is the absolute worst thing you can do. Keep going. Don't give up. And reminded me how he struggled. You know, he struggled for 10 months before he made it work and um, gave me this amazing pep talk on how, you know, how important it is just to keep your vision in sight. What do you want? And just keep striving for that every single day. So, um, yeah, just meeting him has been so instrumental in, in my success. And now I'm using that in my own business. You know, my business is, is uh, successful. And now I'm, I'm able to pass that down to, you know, the people that I meet and do this for other people. And uh, so, um, yeah, just meeting him has been... Pat, I mean, honestly, like you are, <laughs> he knows it yeah, because I'm, I, I'm like his, his biggest fan, but he really is um, just so amazing and has been so instrumental in, uh, in my finding success. So big, wow. uh, 
big props to you, Pat. Thank you. Thank you for everything. And I really, I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for Pat Patterson. And I mean that honestly. No, no, so, you tell me you. as much as I've helped you. I've learned a lot from you too. So. That is amazing. Thank you very much for the kind words. Let's, uh, let's do this, Tandy, real quick before we let you go. Why don't you go ahead and, uh, and give us your website? My website, you bet. Mine is um, yourabundancenow.com. Yourabundancenow.com. Ms. Tandy Davis, thank you so much for coming on. And Mr. Pat Patterson, um, why don't you go ahead and give us your website and where they can follow you as well. Absolutely. It's, it's real simple. It's just patpatterson.info, I-N-F-O. Okay, patpatterson.info. Patterson.info. Outstanding. That was well, let me amazing. You, you really rather follow Tandy because she's prettier and she's a great leader. <laughs> so you really need to go to her website. She's a sight for sore eyes. Me, I'm just me. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. I want to thank the both of you for coming on. Pat, especially Tandy, thank you so much. Um, hopefully I'll see the both of you at, uh, at one of the future events. Uh, we are out of time for today. Uh, you can actually find the recording of this on podbean.com. Search The Decision Hour uh, as well as on the Facebook uh, at The Decision Hour. Uh, so, again, thank you so much to our very special guest. And everybody have a me. great Thanks, Thank guys. you so much. Have a great, great Bye. week. And uh, to all your success in the future. Thank you. Yes, sir.